From those in the know to those who need to know, this is the Indie Weekly Podcast. All right. Hey, how's it going? Mike Rain here. Welcome back to another week of the Indie Weekly Podcast. And we have a hell of a conversation coming up this week and a bit of a unique one in terms of um, Indie Weekly Podcasts. What we're sharing doesn't come necessarily from Indie Week or Indie Weekly as usual, but rather it's a panel conversation that Indie Week founder Daryl Hurz was part of at the Future Worlds conference back in November of 2022. Now, this was sort of Indie Week content at the same time because it was simultaneously live streamed as part of the last day of Indie Week um, in 2022. This conversation is all about music in the metaverse. And uh, alongside Daryl on this panel, uh, which was moderated by Young Spielberg, uh, producer and songwriter. Um, yeah, joining Daryl for it was Rodell Delf- Delphin, um, certainly a friend of Indie Week, um, renowned AR professional, filmmaker, conference organizer, media entrepreneur, uh, Jessica, pa- Jessica Powell, also no stranger to the Indie Week uh, universe. Uh, she is, of course, the Audio Shake CEO and co founder, Kimberly Noller, chief marketing officer for Pixel Links, and another friend of ours, Karen Allen, the uh, CEO and co-founder of the company Infinite Album and author of Twitch for Musicians. So uh, like I said, this is from Future Worlds. It's all about the do's and don'ts and what's happening, what's coming in, in terms of the use of music and performance in the metaverse. It's a really fascinating conversation. But as always, before we get to this week's conversation, we must first acknowledge that the land on which Indie Week is based is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, Wendat, Ashinaabe, Métis, and Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. Of course, we must also thank our sponsors and funders. Those are Slate Music, CD Baby, Actor Racks, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, SEMA, City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, and the SOCAN Foundation. We must also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. Without the support of all of them, we couldn't do the work we do for the music community. So a big thank you to all those companies, organizations, and government bodies. All right, now to this week's conversation. Hi, everybody. I'm Young Spielberg. I am a producer and songwriter uh, for the last 15 years. But uh, about a year ago, parallel to my studio duties, I started coordinating all the collaborative research at Water & Music. If you're not familiar, Water & Music is a research and intelligence network focused on music and tech. And um, yeah, woo, woo was right. And um, the way I ended up on this stage is we did a 12-week research sprint looking at music in the quote-unquote metaverse. And uh, just a little context of why we did that sprint and why we're all up here on this panel today. You know, there's a lot of hype, a lot of buzz. There's been over, we tracked over $2.4 billion in VC funding going to music startups focusing on live streaming, gaming, creative AR. And, um, but at the same time, it's super nebulous. And there's a lot of conflicting narratives around what the metaverse is, why it's important. And uh, luckily, I'm up on this panel with amazing people who are on the ground, in the trenches, building, and uh, they can give us some really amazing details about the challenges music faces in the metaverse and the opportunities. Um, And so with that, I'm going to ask everybody, maybe going down the line, to introduce yourself, what you're working on, and briefly, 
give your definition of the metaverse. Sure, maybe I'll start. Uh, my name is Rodell Delphin. Uh, my background's in the music industry, held positions in A&R for major labels, music publishers, had a snit at Red Bull, helped start the uh, record company division for Red Bull, um, ran scouting teams for Red Bull on the A&R side. Uh, a few years ago, I segued into uh, music documentaries and, and documentary production. Uh, last year, had two rabbit hole experiences going down the crypto space. Uh, last year, I moved to Puerto Rico and, and got connected and immersed with the uh, crypto and tech community over there. And I've since worked on uh, a couple NFT projects, but in particular, uh, delving into the metaverse, I guess, with our film projects, uh, particularly as they tie into music and film and trying to uh, figure out the, the proper, I guess, blueprint or pathway in this new world. Uh, I'm Jessica Powell. I'm the CEO and co-founder of AudioShake. We use AI to split audio recordings into their stems or into different components. Um, and uh, we're used by labels and publishers and artists and third parties to power everything from sync licensing through to spatial mixes, immersive mixing, um, all kinds of sort of algorithmically driven experiences across social and, and other experiences. Um, and the metaverse, no one's actually asked me to define this before. Uh, I just think of it as at least what it will be in the future, um, a, a space where we're moving much more seamlessly between the online and offline worlds and where the online world is much more immersive and actually like our real world, but with all the benefits of it being digital. Um, and some of that'll be blockchain and some of it won't be. Um, but I think of it largely driven by a level of, I think, immersiveness and community. I like that. that was a good one. Um, I'm Kimberly Noller. I'm the CMO of Pixelinks, and we're building out a new music experience on a gaming platform. My background is mostly in the music industry. I was at labels. I built out the direct-to-fan team at Warner Records. I then had a management company for over a decade, and then during covid I too went down the Web3 rabbit hole and advised some companies and fractionalized royalties on the blockchain and then realized, uh, you know, there's a lot where the lines are blurring between music, gaming and blockchain and landed at Pixelinks and working on that uh, new experience. Uh, I actually, you know, there's so many different definitions of the metaverse. I don't think there's one. We'll get there yet. I've been sticking with Matthew Ball's one of, you know, the the metaverse is, is this three elevated 3D experience of the online world. And so um, I think it's going to evolve. I think Jessica said some amazing things. I 100% I agree. So I think uh, it's early days, very early days, but exciting. Uh, my name is Daryl Herz. Uh, I wear two hats in the industry. I represent downtown music brands in Canada, like CD Baby, SongTrust, Fuga. Uh, I also own uh, Indie Week. We're actually streaming this live right now to our conference. Uh, we were an in-person festival and conference, and during COVID, we actually had to pivot, and now we host four online conferences a year, uh, meeting different demographics, and uh, we're currently building an online community platform that we're going to launch in the next few months, uh, which we're really excited about. Um, my background is I was started off as the artist, did the manager, the tour manager, Booker, all that stuff, but I also have been involved in digital since about 96 when I started actually doing uh, 
desktop publishing, which turned into the web. So I've actually gone through a lot of the transition of the web. I'm seeing lots of the same mistakes being made right now uh, that I saw way back then. Um, and as far as uh, my definition, I, I agree with it, what everybody said, but I really believe it's a time to be able to make a space that is genuine and unique at whatever scale that's going to meet the audience, which means it could be small and still monetized, but it could also be very large. And I think that's a very exciting thing. I'm Karen Allen. I'm CEO and co-founder of Infinite Album. We create infinite streams of AI-generated music for gamers. And the music is game reactive. And if you're on Twitch, it's also viewer interactive and viewer monetizable with Twitch bits. Um, my background really is a strategy and biz dev for digital music startups. And uh, I went down a big rabbit hole with live streaming right around 2016 and ended up writing a book called Twitch for Musicians which um, coincidentally came out just before the pandemic. And I've done about a million panels with Daryl. Um, and um, uh, gosh, my, my, my definition of the metaverse is really more of a practical one. I don't get too lost in you know, specific definitions and, and what does this mean for everything? I think we all kind of know what we're talking about when we talk about a metaverse, but the main tenets to me are that um, it's very user-generated content. So. Uh, the players can create their own land. They can interact with their own land. Um, and that, that's like the huge thing for me, really. Just it's, it's a really strong UGC component. I'm kind of curious in here, how many people are artists themselves? How many people are developers? Founders and industry professionals, kind of artist team folks, cool. Um, well, we have such a wealth of experience up here, and Daryl, you kind of touched on this, that maybe there are some lessons to be learned from the past, and I thought we might start off just by um, maybe sharing some of those ideas that you had shared with me previously, and then also Kimberly as well, um, and anyone else who has anything to add, kind of context around format regime change for music. For sure. Um, so like I said, I, I've always been in, involved in the tech side of things. Um, I was running a community record label in Toronto and one of my developer friends uh, came to me and said, I've developed a music player that can stream music and we can send and beam new music to a CD at any point in time. It was called CDX technology. And so he came to me, we were putting it on CDs uh, that we were giving out. And this is about 2003, 2004. And he was pitching to record labels to use this platform and look at it. It was the first time really where we could stream music because during that time, people were downloading and stealing music. So this was meant to be protective of music where we could put, you know, sell a CD, but you put it in your computer, here's a player and we could send a new song every week. So therefore the value of the CD is infinite. Uh, but it could also be monetized through advertising that was on the player. And every single label turned it around and said, this streaming thing will never work. And uh, that project eventually just died because it didn't take off as a result. Awesome. Um, I mean, there's so many lessons in that. Um, so I, what we were talking about early on when we were first talking is that, you know, 
is there a new uh, format of music emerging in the metaverse? And I, you know, one of the examples I was saying is that when um, MTV came around and we talk about this a lot at Pixel Links, you know, artists and labels and everybody had to really create new content for this new format. And, you know, we saw this huge shift. And I think you see that again with TikTok where artists and, and labels now putting too much pressure on artists probably to make TikTok. Um, and that and that's now becoming this user generated content. And I, I highly believe that that's a big part of the future. Um, and so I see that this this new canvas now of the metaverse is really this kind of opportunity to say, this, look what happened with with MTV and it evolved into new content. And now you have the metaverse and now you have AR and, and I think it's mostly going to be AR um, right now. But this whole idea of user generated content and this co-creation idea and this recreation, um, that's going to spawn, I think, a lot of new formats of consumption and this whole idea of immersive immersiveness and and moving away from this lean back experience of what um, streaming has brought us and brought fans. But I think for artists, and if there's anybody that works directly with artists here, I think it's just a massive, amazing canvas right now. And and how you then start to monetize that user-generated content is what's gonna you know, lead to these kind of new music formats. Very early days, super excited about it, very bullish on it. I, I think one thing just riffing off of that, I think it's, it's UGC, but I think it goes even further than that in that, and it does, it's not specific to the metaverse, but I, I really do think that the next wave of audio experiences and music experiences are going to be incredibly interactive. And that when you think like, it's, it's crazy when you think about everything we can do with video and image today, right? Like you can do a filter on Instagram and you can do this wild like video editing on TikTok, but like audio, we can dance to it on TikTok and we can speed it up and slow it down. Like it's, it's really like the, 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 the gap between what we can do with audio and what we can do with video and image is really striking. And I think that like, I a hundred percent think that the next wave of what's going to happen is that we're going to be interacting with audio with the same ease that we do video and image and that it's going to be accessible to people that don't know how to use a DAW that haven't come up learning instruments. Um, all of those really sophisticated experiences will continue to exist. But there's also going to be the equivalent of I'm pushing a button and I'm doing style transfer on a song, or I'm pushing a button and I'm doing the equivalent of a filter and I'm saying swap out the bass, put this in, um, and a lot of stuff that's being suggested to the user too. And so I think there's it's going to be even more remixed and reimagined and UGC building upon UGC like we've never seen before. So, but not just specifically in the metaverse either. Yeah, look, I think just to reiterate like what Daryl was saying, I mean, I'm having those conversations right now with labels, with specific projects. I'm working on a docu music documentary project on the grunge movement in Seattle. And uh, it revolves around a nightclub called The Central, which was like, you know, the hangout spot for Nirvana and Soundgarden and all these artists before they got signed. You know, that was the center of the movement happening. And it's a partnership with Universal. And, and but at the same time, you know, we're having those conversations of how to screen this and with all the technologies that's out there. And also there's the legacy music, you know, and it, it comes into the, the legal ramifications of it, just like with what the last panel just talked about. And I think all those hurdles, um, those are difficult conversations uh, to, to be had with record companies and music publishers right now. And I gotta say, there's, there's a level of resistance towards it because it's something so new. And I think there has to be 
I mean, it's just early days. It's just really early days and we need more success stories and more things to come through where uh, labels will embrace it. I mean, one thing Daryl had said is like the, the music industry historically has not been, uh, doesn't embrace technology right away. I think everyone on this panel- If I can just make one comment about legal, how long did it take for them to take breakages out of contracts? Right, right. right. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I mean, like one problem we have with um, working with artists and labels is, you know, AI music is so new and it's not written into these contracts that they have with the artists and they're not even sure if they can make a deal with us in the first place, you know, because this is, we're not using any of the catalog music. I mean, I would think it would be covered under their exclusive recording contracts but we are creating something completely different. And what we hear from a lot of artists is that, well, we can do those sorts of things outside of our deal. It's part of our deal with them. So we kind of fall into this nebulous area where we can just, you know, strike a deal. Uh, it's, you know, it's undetermined whether publishing is the same. We're sort of going through all these motions now because there's two sides of the song. Um, but it's complicated for us because we don't really have record of the songs as they're made because they're made client side on the gamer's computer. So unless we intentionally bounce out chunks of music and do it intermittently, you know, we don't really know what's even being created until it goes on the stream and then it goes to a VOD or then it goes to a clip. So we have a really interesting scenario. Right now, the music is all ours. It's all open source sound libraries. We train against open source music models. We add our own, you know, secret sauce with our own composition rules. Um, our CTO and our AI music people are all musicians. So, you know, it's all it's all original as original can be when you're doing AI. Um, but, you know, you, you basically you select a style and you hit play and you can change the emotion or the emotion can be react to things that are happening in the game. But even if you don't change the emotion, it naturally iterates every, you know, 16 to 24 measures it changes. So even if I do bounce something out, you know, in the first 16 measures, it's going to be a little bit different to what's happening in measure number 48, right? So it's, it, there's like layers and layers and layers of, of complexity, even with what we're doing. And this is kind of connected to what you were talking about being interactive, but just for the audience, can you remind everybody, you know, like who are the users of your product? I think you have like, like you said, a really unique um, an interesting product you're working on. Yeah, yeah. So I, so within, we have a couple of products. So the first product that's we're, that we're in market in beta with right now, we're launching Q1, but right now it's out and it's usable. I call it B to C to C, right? So we're the B. And the first C is the Twitch gamer. Um, they're, nothing happens unless they're using us, right? And then the next C is their viewer. So the gamer uses our app to create music for their stream. Um, and then the viewer of that stream can spend bits or channel points, which is kind of like experience points on Twitch, um, to influence the music in real time. They can change the style, they can change the emotion, they can add sound effects, um, they can add instrumentation like guitar solos and more more cowbell and fun stuff like that. Um, soon we'll be adding lyrics soon, so custom lyrics. So um, we're really leaning hard into the whole creator economy side of things. We're leaning hard into the magic of live streaming, which I really think really comes down to community. Um, I, I, and I could go on for an hour about this and I, I will not, but I, I have in the past. Um, the, the whole thing that's happening on Twitch, the whole thing that's happening in live streaming is community, right? So if it wasn't, 
if, if there wasn't anybody watching, you can you could just watch the stuff on YouTube and you would get the same experience. The reason why Twitch is so sticky, the reason why Twitch works, the reason why Twitch is a $2 billion annually, you know, gross revenue company is the community side of it. Um, so it's community before content. And to have community, you have to have a two-way communication. So to this point, two-way communication has been, hi, I'm the streamer, here's some content. And the viewer has been like, that's really awesome. I think you're great. And talking amongst the other streamers and then, you know, here's a donation or here's a cute little animation that I'm paying for that's going to make, you know, the streamer feel good and give them money. And it's, you know, I'm going to game with you for a while. It's been all that kind of thing. Um, we are one of the first that are really doing um, engagement on an audio level. And we know for sure there's a massive um, demand for this because by far the biggest bit enabled extension on Twitch is called sound alerts. And it's just sound effects. That's all it is. And you can upload your own sound effects. And the second biggest one is also a sound effects company. So, <laughs> so what we're doing basically is taking that model and making it musical. So it's not just sound effects, it's actual music and you can influence the music as it changes. So what does this mean for the metaverse? Basically everything that we're building on Twitch um, maps exactly into games at large and maps exactly into metaverses. So um, if you can think of like, if you're a player, if you wanna swap the music for the metaverse with music that you created and our music is responsive. So it can respond to everything that's happening in the world other people, things you bump into, different parts of the map, the music can all change with that. If somebody walks up to you within proximity, they can listen to what you're playing. Um, we allow people to export the vibes that they create so they can actually export them and sell them. So you can actually, you know, there's a whole secondary market going on, you know, with AI music of just created AI music and how that can be, you can think of it like a never ending singles market kind of. Um, and the other layer to metaverse is giving land makers tools to create music for their land. So if they have an art gallery, here's a different vibe for each one of the pieces of art. Here's something different for the club than for the lobby of the club. You know, basically giving people tools to create music to what Jessica was saying, you know, that making it easy. Um, so it's just, it's a button and it's, it's some settings and then off you go and here's something that's completely unique that you created. Daryl, uh, can you share a little bit about, because you were just talking about giving landowners stuff to do, mm -hmm. you uh, you shared with me earlier um, some interesting facts and thoughts about like digital venues. And actually, Paul, who was on uh, one of the panels earlier, was mentioning that, you know, in Decentraland at the, uh, the True Band Room, which stands for the Rocking Unicorns, this was a venue I stumbled upon, um, run by this woman, Shelly, and when I spoke to them at around the turn of the year, they had done 200 shows in the last 180 days. And it was pretty unique. Like they, there's no curation at all. Like she says yes to every single person who wants to come play. And, uh, you know, they set them up and they stream through OBS. Um, and I know you have a little experience kind of with some of these digital venues. And if anybody else does too, just love to elaborate. Yeah. So what are the, pain points right now, I think for people that are looking to get into the streaming world is how do they find their audience? How do they get people to their stream? But if you think of real world experience and try to relate to it online, often people go to a certain venue because the venue has a reputation and promoters use a venue because it has certain sound systems and such. So um, using a platform that has a built-in audience. So for instance, we worked with a back in life. It's a 
um, online space simpler to Fortnite and Roblox kind of thing, um, based in Portugal and Brazil, and uh, 200 plus million downloads of the app already. And so within their world, they've already got millions of people. So they've built music venues inside of it and hosted online events. And so instead of us having to actually push and promote, try to get people here, they're already present in there. Uh, so um, one of our audience members uh, is in Portugal, might actually be watching right now, uh, Was took, had a few bands that they worked with participate in a online festival that Evac and Life held. And essentially, it's early days, so it's a lot of like live footage of their performances, but beamed within their music venue on this space. And um, it ran 24 hours over time as part of this festival. And that meant anybody at any time zone tunes in when it makes sense for them. And over 2 million people viewed it in, during that time. I'm curious, do you know, is that a platform, a game? Kind of so I'm curious how many people here have either attended or viewed a concert in Roblox or Fortnite? It's like not definitely some of you haven't, and I hadn't. And when I finally did it, I was shocked to find out that it was really a game, like it was a scavenger hunt, it was a racing game, it was people going around collecting things. I had this vision of people just standing in front of a digital stage. And I kind of think it's almost like this. Um, it's, it's not a well-kept secret because it's out in the open, but we all read these headlines like, you know, Lil Nas X nearing eight figures in virtual skin sales from his Roblox concert. But it's not really a concert. And like, that's where the people are, are in games. Um, yeah. If I could comment on the Roblox side. Yeah. Uh, so at the time, my girlfriend, uh, she has two kids, uh, nine and 11. And for them, it was their first live concert experience. And I think the thing is, people my age, we understand, you know, we always have that memory of our first concert experience and we associate it to a live venue and all that, where people in that age group, their first live experience is living room pizza party which that was you know and so they had a pizza party dance party and it was a little Nas X and uh I did a test I gave them each a $25 gift card both gone in like less than five minutes and and so you think like more than three million people tuned in how can you monetize that it's actually really impressive and and I think we need to get there faster I mean I, I was just gonna say I just think you know, this, this is where all the blurring is happening. I mean, you make an, an interesting point. You, you went in thinking you were going to see a concert and it was a game. And, and so I look at everything that's happening and even, you know, with Twitch and stuff is, is this, this, it's just blurring. And we're seeing, you know, music companies now finally going like, oh, we probably should do something around gaming, but gaming companies have, you know, you look at the numbers and the dollars of how far more successful gaming companies have been that this blurring is what's happening. And even, you know, we just launched um, our first game as kind of an alpha, the alpha version of the mobile game um, called Elixir. We launched it. It's basically for inten all intensive purposes. It's the simplest way to say it. It's Pokemon Go for music. Niantic is actually one of our um, partners. So it's, it was built on that same platform. And, you know, the idea is that if, 
it, from an artist standpoint and from a fan standpoint is if you can start to build these engaging experiences that live both physical and digital. I'm going to a show, you know, maybe it's Billie Eilish, you know, there's an experience before you get to the show and it's an AR experience and you're going around the venue and you're finding things as a scavenger hunt. And then maybe one of those things that you find, maybe it is an, a digital good and maybe it is a, a shirt for your avatar. And then maybe you found something to go backstage and, and hang out with um, Billie Eilish. And so I think what's just happening in this space is that, you know, it's just blurred. And so the definition of what that's going to look like tomorrow, I think is still being defined, but it's gonna be built around all of this co-creation, how artists and fans engage, what opportunities fans are gonna to have to actually interact and immerse with their artists. And so you're you're gonna have those experiences where, well, that wasn't a concert, that really was a game. Like, but that's, to me, that's what's next. And having now like launched in, actu in activation and has there been anything that surprised you or, you know, that you think maybe is something that isn't talked about as much, like when you're actually trying to set one of these things up? Uh, it's an interesting question. I think for, first of all, it's still new what we're doing. I think that environments are going to play a big role in that. So we launched, um, we purposefully, well, there's a, there's a couple things that we did that were very um, thoughtful in, in what we did. One was, we launched uh, with a partnership with Spinning Records and we did it at Amsterdam dance event. And so hindsight's 2020, people were like super excited about the game. They played around Amsterdam, they collected, there was an anomaly. So if you think about Pokemon Go, there was like digital vinyl that they could find all over the city of Amsterdam. But what happened once you caught that, then, then there was a massive AR experience. So in the middle of the conference, you could see what we call sound sculptures and that delivered music. And it was this beautiful AR experience. So that stuff is like, and, and you saw the um, fan generated content that came after that. So we saw this like amazing engagement from that standpoint, like people were like making these memes and we, we started to do a, um, stream of all the memes through Gleam and that was amazing. But the other piece that was challenging was, do people wanna pick up their phones and engage? Um, you know, and it was a conference, so they did it for a minute and then, you know, they could, they were supposed to collect, I think it was like 10 anomalies um, or, and from point, different points of interest. And so you could see kind of the fallout of that. And that we felt like once the conference got started, um, the engagement was less. So I think those kind of things are, um, it was an interesting question because those are the things that we're going to look at, which is, you know, how do you keep people engaged? How do you keep fans engaged? And I think there's just going to be different um, online and offline um, opportunities to do that within the, within the game. I'm curious of um, actually folks in the audience as well, but on this panel, if there has been, a favorite or any like really enriching um, kind of music experience you would consider like in the metaverse, whatever the definition is that you've had um, thus far. To, to be clear, like I've jumped into a bunch, but like even if I did have one, it's not coming to my mind now that it like really stuck out like, wow, this was incredible. I can't wait to do this again. I hope other artists adopt this. Um, I'm, I'm curious if that is a common thread. Maybe raise your hand if you've like been in some type of virtual show or concert that you have felt like really was there and has arrived. 
I think he had a, um, a a specific dance move that he sold just for that too, if I recall too. Uh -huh. And there was a certain moment where everybody in the song like like flew. You know what I mean? So yeah, that was that was super cool. And of course, he had a whole real world merch line to go with that that sold like millions of dollars worth of stuff. I think I was gonna say as I think as this evolves, and we were just talking about this earlier, is that this that there's native experiences that as an artist, you should be thinking about designing for the platform versus dropping into a platform. And I think that's how these experiences are going to change because I mean, like, you know, like for me, I'll put on a, you know, an Oculus headset and, and I'll do something in, in trip and that'll be one kind of experience and that's okay. And, and then in a &R experience, like we just, we did, so Dead Mouse and Richie Houghton are two of the co-founders of the company. And there's an AR experience with Dead Mouse where you're like, you could be sitting right here and hold up your phone and this giant like ship comes in with Dead Mouse and it's amazing and it's spectacular. And that's one of those moments where you're like, oh, that's cool. And it's, you know, super, super early on what that's gonna look like. We, um, there's a company we work with called mini beats that has an app that's in beta right now or closed beta. Um, but it's, uh, like, I, I think it's super fun. It's, uh, an AR app, um, using the snap SDK and it's responsive to whatever the user, it's basically a, an interactive musical camera and the user's movements, the audio, it's all responsive to what the user is doing. Um, and then it's collaborative too. And so people can essentially create these music videos where there are these really cool AR effects and also at the STEM level, the music is responding to what they're doing. Um, I just, I think there's, I think, I don't know, we probably could play a drinking game around the number of times people have said early days here, you know, but I, I do think there's just some really, really exciting stuff being built. If I could talk about the user side, um, like in the sense that we're producing online conferences, not metaverse yet, but online conferences, um, just to give a bit of a scope, um, during pandemic, we literally lost running a festival that we'd run for almost 20 years, like 240 bands, 24 venues. We could not do that anymore. So we lost that business. Uh, we had a contract with uh, Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment, NHL, to run events after every game. We lost that business. Uh, so we were literally two weeks away from closing shop where we decided let's do conference and education online. Uh, and as I said, we now do four online conferences. Uh, this year, we're doing Indie Week. This week, right now, this is part of it. Um, our registration is more than double than last year. Our sponsorship rates have gone up. We've got sponsors actually coming to us as opposed to us going to them. And uh, this year, we're ending the strongest we've ever been in 20 years. So um, there's, there's stuff that happens. And what we've seen is in our user base growing, because it's online, our audience is also starting younger because we were in venues and they had to be 18 plus. And also much older, there's songwriters in their 70s that are joining us. So it's a much wider range of audience that can happen. And I think a lot of times people go into these types of projects trying to predefine their audience, which actually limits. And you get these 
unexpected results because if it's completely open, you're allowing more diverse audiences in. And we have already started seeing where some audiences, sort artists have collaborated with uh, 20 other artists in 20 different countries in releasing their music, uh, things like that. So there's these unexpected results of the community figuring it out and, and producing activities. So uh, I think going into it with that open mind allows for that to happen. That reminds me of um, RAC is an artist who uh, pretty famous for being very, very early um, working in Web3 and having NFTs, uh, even though NFTs in the metaverse are distinctly different and not inherently connected, even though they can absolutely be connected and are a lot. But he uh, he said about when he formed his first Discord community, he said, people came for my music, but they stayed to share cat memes with each other and, and cooking recipes. And really, you know, he was just a thing that brought them together. And, you know, moving from this unidirectional, like artist that puts music out like two people to this kind of bi-directional thing is definitely a trend. That's a very Twitch thing though, you know, and he is big on Twitch and he made a discord because he's on Twitch. Discord became popular because of Twitch. You know, there is no way to communicate with your fans when you're not live streaming on Twitch. There's no news feed. There's no posts. There's only um, your about page where you just put static content. So there was really a need to, to talk with people, to communicate with them, to tell them, you know, what's happening with you and to have them talk to each other. Um, and it wasn't really being satisfied with Facebook because nobody was on Facebook anymore. And you can only do so much with Twitter, right? So, but there was this need to, to have this community, I'm gonna say it again, community, which is really what Twitch is all about. And I, I will argue that there's actually three communities on Twitch. And the first community is the streamer to the viewer and how you build that community like around them being a fan of you. Second community is the viewer to the viewer. You know, the viewer to viewer chat. I, I've seen plenty of streams where they're just having their own conversation and they happen to be watching this. It has nothing to do with anything that's going on. They're just having a little side conversation while this is happening. And then they jump back into the stream when they feel like it. Um, and then the third community is streamer to streamer. And that's really how you grow on Twitch. You start networking with the other streamers. So if you're really, if you're conscious, um, if you're a conscientious creator and understand what exactly is happening in these communities, that's you'll understand how to grow and how to serve each one of those communities. And Discord is a way that that RAC served that community. Um, he's one of the very few popular producers on there. Um, not many producers are popular because he can't really request a song and you really can't like dance and jam out when they're just dorking around on DAWs. It's not really fun to watch a producer create something unless you just really love that producer. Um, so he's one of the few who does it. And the reason he's good at it is because he's so vibey. You know, he has like this multi, multi uh, camera view that switches a bunch of times. He's got like insane lighting. He's got a cat. He's got like all these little things that just make it like vibey and fun and cool and a place where you want to hang out, right? So Twitch is really a place where you go to hang out and share your love of games or music or whatever it's interesting to you. Discord is a place to do that offline. And this is how metaverses are going to be interesting, right? Because it's going to be a place where you go to hang out. It can't just be a place to go and try to click a few things and see if things happen and go, okay, that was fun. And then bail you're gonna to have to actually create like friendships, 
and a whole, you know, second life style of friendships where there was weddings that happened there and funerals and all kinds of things. So the more that we understand community and can apply that to these, um, to these new content platforms and these new content mediums and figure out how to integrate monetization within community, which Twitch slays at. Any, any UGC live stream platform, you now, live me, um, now TikTok, they all slay at monetizing communication in little micro ways that are super fun and serotonin for the viewer, right? Which is the killer. You have to make it fun for people to make a thing happen. And it's gotta be fun for the streamer to see a thing happened. You know, that's that's how it works. Um, and, and you kind of get all these other things that fall off because of it, because it's a community. So this is really, if you're wondering how to be successful in the next era of digital, whatever we're going to be creating, the next five eras from now, you know, in fucking 2040, I'm telling you, it's always going to come back to community. But that's percent. Yeah, but I, I think that's a theme that's always been prevalent in the music space community engagement by the way i was a big rac fan back the remixes back in the day always try to do so try to get him to do stuff at red bull uh, but he, the guy was always so busy but um yeah i mean i think that's the same case with like the successful nft collections over the past year whether it's azuki or like the mushroom heads or whatnot you know there's been a community engaged um, and it's not just about releasing the art. It's really about engaging these people and whether it's like the DGen crowd on the Discord space or whatnot. So I think that's a central theme that's always going to be the case because we see these NFT collections that have been released that's been released and and do nothing, you know, at the same time. So I think that setup and the importance of of engagement is always going to be there. It's almost like everybody needs to go back and look at how fan clubs work, like yeah. the Kiss Army. You know, here's a fee. Exactly. You get a, like a free unreleased disc sent to you. Like all that, those kind of models, I think is really what I mean, the we difference think now is that you actually know the other people in the, in the fan right. club. Right. Before that, it was only like your friends who also had the card that you knew from school. Now right. we know the other, the bunch of other people who are part of the fan club. Yeah. And you can look at like bands like Pearl Jam and you too, like their fans are so loyal to them because of the way the artist has treated them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that. Um, I'm talking to a, a band now and, and just a little background. So I ran all the fan clubs at Warner many, many years ago. Um, and so a lot of the stuff that's coming up now in Web3 is is there's new terms, but it's it's the same. It's, it's that engagement and keeping fans engaged. And so I think that as artists evolve and want to understand the space more, it does really come down to, again, community is huge. That's not going to change. It's But what is that? ongoing thing that particularly for like nfts because i think that's going to be be continue to be a i always say it's it's the technology that unlocks something it's not necessarily about the nft but it's the tech behind it but what are those artists doing to keep fans engaged from that standpoint that is a differentiator and you see some of these artists that have been so oh i don't believe in nfts and when you get into the community side of it or understanding the information we used to say all the time how do we reach these artists? How do we reach these fans later? We've built these big things. Well, guess what? The technology is here today. I think about what's happening now and 10 years ago, or maybe it was longer, uh, being at Warner and thinking like, God, if we could just reach out to all these people that did this and how challenging that was is that there's so much opportunity now to take all these communities, to monetize them in ways that are authentic, to co-create 
new formats from that. I mean, I think about sound blocks and, and we've shared that. So, you know, that's a, another co-creation that's that's been gamified. So I just think we're this, it, it, it's everything old is new again, but the technology has pushed it to this next level, so. But don't you think there's still a difficulty with trying to identify these communities, you know, to a certain degree? Like, um, I mean, it's still, there's a, there's a, it's a crypto demographic in a way, right? I mean, I think it's, it hasn't crossed over to the mainstream yet. I think we're still far away from there. And I don't know, I mean, in your experiences is identifying and capturing these communities so that you can, you know, engage them properly. It seems it's like work. that's still a hurdle. It's work and you have to like yeah. be, it's a two-way street. And I think a lot of times people are like, especially artists, music businesses, I put it out there, everybody should just go stream it. They have to actually work at it. And and so look at like Taylor Swift model. Like uh, if you listen to like Rick Barker, how he built Taylor Swift, engaging with fans. Um, there's a manager in the room who I know had uh, one of his uh, uh, artists phone every fan that put in a piece of mail. Uh, so you have to work at it. And and that's the thing. If they If you're not putting it in, they're going to leave. They'll come check it out, but they're not going to stick around. Part of what we've done on the our conference side is we've actually, each conference, we're contacting major music schools across North America because students and the youth is where we want to be. And now we've got a relationship with all the schools across North America, and we're about to launch a community. So we're building that audience, but we're building those connections as we go. For fan engagement, yeah. um, like basically anything, really. Like if you think of it, um, one artist that at the start of the pandemic that I I had previously worked with, uh, they did just done a showcase at Reaper Vaughn, just got signed. The late the album was just about to come out, and then COVID, um, and I was like, you should go online. I'm like, oh, will anyone show up? And I'm like, just go on Facebook, go live over 3,000 people tuned in in that first stream. And so they started doing weekly things and it's like, okay, well, we need to be interesting. So they actually wrote songs with their fans. They also, like, they're, they're, they were also in gaming and stuff. Like, their, their band name is called Double Experience. So if you think of playing a game, it just doubled up. Um, so what they did as well with their gaming community is they actually had Dungeons & Dragons dice and they'd be like, okay, word a word b we're going to write off of that and they would roll dice and then they did engage the fans and wrote a song seems like you could give people tickets to future shows or yeah the way i look at it is you do one thing that promotes the next thing and promotes the next thing but you have to have the next thing ready to go to promote it because often people will have an audience and not promote and then they have the next thing and they have to promote from scratch to try to get that audience back. So one thing leads to the next thing leads to the next thing. I think one band that's actually doing it really well right now, which is an interesting band is Avenged Sevenfold. And here's a, here's a band that, that, uh, you know, probably demographically probably doesn't fit with like NFTs and what's going on. But Matt, the lead singer of the band has been really education is a big piece of all of this. And so Matt, the lead singer of the band has really educated his fans who at first were like, you know, 
screw you, NFT, that's so scammy. But he provided, we always talk about this utility, what's the value? And so Matt started to slowly provide different levels of value, everything from like access, which was one piece of value to, um, you know, if you were a death bats, which has been the fan club for many years, if you now had a, bought a death, a death bats NFT, he, it just got incorporated into a new game that is in lips. Iron Maiden's game. And so you now have like one of your NFTs and we talk about interoperability all the time. You now have one of one of your deathpad NFTs that came from your Avenged Sevenfold is now in an Iron Maiden game. And so you can see like, oh, that's mine. And so I think it's like artists, when you talk about finding community, it's like there's a, there's a responsibility from artists to engage with their fans. This sort of back and forth has to happen if you're not going to be an artist that wants to do that engagement some of these digital tools are not the place for you but if you want to change the narrative and build your fan base over the long term i think there's whether it's a po-op whether it's going to a show and being able to like oh i'm going to you know send us your phone i mean there's some friction and those things need to be changed but i think there's so much opportunity for artists who want to have their fan base who want to co-create, who want to share in ownership. Some do, some don't. I think that there's a lot and it's just being thoughtful about your market. And I bring up Avenged Sevenfold because he understood his demo, older, but he still got them on board slowly. And now it's a, you know, it's a, it's a real business for him. I think what's what's exciting is like, say with this documentary project about grunge and the Central in Seattle, which is a historic music venue. It's, it's actually the oldest music venue in Seattle. Um, there's a collection of memorabilia that the club has obtained and, and kept. Um, there are flyers and posters uh, with artwork from some of the local artists that shows the billing of like, you know, there, there was, uh, you know, like one big band of the moment, but then the opening bands is like Soundgarden and Alice in Chains. And, and there's like, I don't know, I think there's maybe 20 or 25 posters and flyers that are prominently displayed at the club. And one of the discussions we're having is like, let's create an NFT of one of those flyers, but take it to the next level where we can invite a special screening of the movie when it's released in the metaverse, as well as a special screening at the club. There's discussions of special shows with some of the band members who are still there, you know, whether it's Matt Cameron or Jared Cantrell or, or Chris Novoselic or whatnot. And, um, you know, inviting the fans of that music, you know, letting them buy the NFT, but giving them something more. So I think this is a great opportunity where we can explore a lot of different stuff. And obviously the collectible and memorabilia aspect of this on the music space, on the film space, sports space. I mean, I think there's so much to explore here, you know, and it's all exciting. One thing we observed in uh, the research that we did over at Water and Music was like onboarding strategies uh, for different projects and especially for NFT projects, one-on-one -on -one educational calls for was something we saw across every single successful NFT project. Doesn't matter how big the band was, you had members of the band, lead singers, people who, you know, normally, you know, people are paying hundreds of dollars, you know, to meet and greet them after the show. They're taking the time, like, you know, and not monetizing this time per se to do one-on-one -on -one calls or do group Zoom calls um, 
you know, with their fans to educate them. Uh, but I think the most important step is actually one step before that, which is they have to be able to answer why. Why am I adopting this technology? And then why is that important for you as my fan? And how is this going to benefit our relationship um, in the future? And I think everything you guys shared up here kind of goes along with that. Um, if I could mention yeah. about the users too, uh, the one thing about online space that we've discovered, which is actually, I think really cool is the fact that the people who log in are the right people. They made that decision consciously. They're there for a reason. So it's not like hangers on and, you know, that kind of stuff. They're actually the right people. And so you could actually have a smaller audience, but it's more powerful because it's the right people and they're going to talk about it and it'll double and double and so on. And it's actually more of the right people. Uh, so they're actually start doing the work for you uh, because of their experience there, that word of mouth goes out, um, you know, and, you know, doing the zoom kind of stuff, it actually opens up to also really cool experiences. So like, like last year we had Marky Ramon talk from his kitchen and everybody was like, it felt like, felt like we're in Marky Ramon's kitchen hearing stories about the Ramones can't get that anywhere else yeah. right so creating unique uh experiences that does feel like you're you're in their place i think makes sense and uh we've been talking about this a lot up here but i think it's like a really worthwhile topic to kind of dig in more and maybe keep going it's kind of like well one thing i just rewind just a little bit you know we've talked about and there's like again these big headlines you know, Lil Nas X, Travis Scott, you know, 12 million concurrent use, you know, viewers at a time. Um, we know that these new formats uh, are working for the people at the top of the food chain. Um, but I'm curious, um, you know, so many of you are builders here and doing your own projects and working with artists, you know, all across the different spans of their careers. I'm wondering what kind of advice or opportunities um, you see out there for artists who are building or, you know, how you might advise. And I know we touched on it a little bit more, but this is a, like a topic that's really dear to my heart. So I'm happy to spend a little more time here if you are. Look, I, I'm living in Puerto Rico and I spend a lot of time in, in Colombia as well. And those two particular locations are like the center of the reggaeton, you know, space. And I just, you know, see a lot of exploration with this technology in a sense with whether it's nfts whether it's with stems to you know a certain degree of sharing collaborating uh with producers and um i just see a lot of experimentation which is really exciting and i think that's the beauty of this space right now and um yeah i think there's a lot of trial and error um but um i think you know, it's it it takes. I see it more on the indie space too, and it's not. And really, it's not so much coming from the major label space. I see it more with indie artists, particularly in the reggaeton, you know, world, um, and Latin world, which is surprising. And I don't know. Maybe it's just because I I'm in that you know in those two locations. But uh, you know, I think it's uh, the collaboration is there. I know it's happening in Puerto Rico at least. I think one thing, just thinking specifically of stems. Um, I think one thing that's interesting is that 
if I think of like a lot of the things that, that we already starting to see in coming on in our side, but that I think are going to be really big in the next, you know, two years or so, when you think about the, the future in which games will be accessing millions of songs, no longer just manually creating these really rich audio experiences for 10 songs or a hundred songs in the game, but rather being able to access uh, millions of songs and even being creating the stems for them on the fly and adapting them on the fly to the game. When you think about all those kinds of things, I actually think there's a really interesting opportunity for indie artists in particular, uh, because I think that on the label side, um, some of those uses are so new and to what you were talking about earlier, I think, um, I think that all the licensing of that stuff is inevitable, but it might take a while to get there. And I think the indie, anyone in the indie space can move much faster. And so I think of all the apps that are trying to create these different interactive music experiences um, across VR, AR, gaming, social, everyone wants major label content, but I think they realize they're not gonna have it right away. And so already you see like on the production music side, a lot of folks already starting to supply for gaming. Um, and I think in that same spirit, I think there'll be opportunities for indie artists that are able to move and indie labels that are able to move quickly. Yeah, I would say um, there's huge opportunity for indie artists. I know like even with um, Elixir and our um, first NFT, we were very specific about, we wanted to have indie artists that were web three native that that their fan base understood like how to get involved and what the value was so i think um artists that indie artists that own their masters own their copyrights all of that that that's going to be um a win um so i think the, the field is is uh wide open for indie artists i think it's you guys could own this space right now big time uh i totally agree with what everyone said uh, especially jessica um, you know, smaller you are, the easier it is to pivot and change and all that kind of stuff. I think right now we're sort of faced with, uh, it kind of reminds me when I used to teach Photoshop a long time ago, and I would just tell students, uh, just create a document, create something, but what, anything, well, what, what color, any color, just, just it's okay we're five minutes in just make something and and i feel that's that just because there's so wide open like literally whatever you want to do you can start what's really the worst thing you could do is not start because it's exponential in the negative sense of growth uh like you know hey 10 friends tell t 10 friends and so on so the sooner you start the sooner you will find your audience but you got to make all the mistakes and be okay to make the mistakes and that's how you learn uh so i think really it's just start yeah i mean i think we're the opportunity for independent artists honestly um sound packs is a huge part of our strategy we're just getting started with that so right now we're making them one by one with artists but eventually we'll open it up so any artist can make their own sound packs. Um, and that's gonna open it really to any independent artist who wants to get into gaming. So right now it's really hard as an artist to get into gaming. You have to do a deal with the game and they don't wanna do a deal with you unless you're somebody, right? Um, and some labels do this really well. Monster Cat has an incredibly good, you know, gaming strategy with their artists and they, they dig right directly into games they work with and it's very good, but you've got to be signed, you know, to a, a label like Monster Cat to do that. So we are kind of 
the back door for getting into games and we're the back door for getting onto Twitch streams as well without having to um, put your music into a copyright safe solution for Twitch streamers, um, like a like a copyright cleared solution like Pretzel or something. You know, it's it's tough. It's really tough for, for, for um, independent artists to get any sort of visibility into games and we feel that we give them that that opportunity. How can independent artists get in touch with you now? Yeah, I mean, the best way is for any independent artists out there, the ones that we're looking to work with right now are ones that have some name recognition with gamers because we intend to sell the sound packs. So if they've never heard of the artist, it's probably not going to sell. So for the ones that take, you know, a lot of our dev time to handhold and do, we want to have an out, a good outcome for both of us. So keep that in mind. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, my DMs are open on Twitter. It's at Karen Allen. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, and if you want to check out Infinite Album to see, you know, what it is, we have a demo video on our website. It's infinitealbum.io. Um, but yeah, the, the idea is that we're trying to democratize music overall for, for games. All right. I'm being told that's it. And you're all saved by the bell because I was about to get into music rights. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you, Future Worlds. And thank you, everybody. All right, so that does it for this week. Big thanks to uh, all our friends, uh, Steve Stewart and everybody at Future Worlds and everyone else that joined Daryl on that panel for the excellent conversation. And before we let you go, um, just, of course, must once again thank our sponsors and funders. Those are Slate Music, CD Baby, Actor Racks, CMRRA, Lyric Fine, Banzoogle, SEMA, The City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, and the SoCan Foundation. And we also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. All right. Thank you so much to them. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, we'll be back again with another Indie Weekly podcast next Thursday.